Hi friends, it's good to be with you this morning. You know, I think it's fair to say that for many of us, the last three months represent the greatest period of change and upheaval, perhaps in our lifetime. We've had to make countless adjustments in practically every area of life, family, work, church, grocery shopping, transportation, medical needs, the list just goes on and on. And adding to the confusion, there is widespread disagreement about how to deal with the situation. Mask or no mask, social distancing or back to normal. Nevertheless, even in the midst of bewildering changes and disagreements, some things have remained stable, solid, and reliable. For Faith Bridgers, one thing that remains the same is our mission to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ who make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ. Regardless of our circumstances, that will never change. God's heart still beats for lost people, and He's still using the church to accomplish His purposes. For 2,000 years, empires have risen and fallen, pandemics have swept the earth, natural disasters have changed the face of the globe, but through it all, our mission to reach the world for Jesus has remained steady. From a 2,000-year perspective, our current pandemic is a drop in the bucket. It's, it's nothing new, and it certainly didn't catch God by surprise. Even and especially in the midst of challenging times, his expectation is that we're going to work just as hard to share the good news of the gospel. While our mission and message have not and must not change, the one changeable aspect of our work is our method. Each new era and each new season provide an opportunity to adjust our approach, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. When it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel, I've noticed there are two things that often hold people back, fear and a lack of know-how. The two are actually related. We're often fearful because we don't feel like we know what we're doing. We're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing or that we might offend someone. Some of us are afraid that we don't know our Bibles well enough or that we won't have answers to questions that some might ask. The most prevalent fear, though, is a fear of rejection. And I get that. I mean, who wants to be rejected? I certainly don't. But this is where I want to put your mind at ease and hopefully give you some much-needed encouragement. You see, when I read the Scriptures, especially the words of Jesus, I'm convinced that we've made the whole enterprise entirely too complicated. Our tendency is to make the Gospel all about content, what we say or what we know. But when I look at Jesus, he was much more about behaviors and relationships. In the Gospel of John, he said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then in the Gospel of Luke, he reminded us to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, please hear me. I'm not suggesting that knowledge has no place in sharing the gospel. Of course it does, because people need to come to an understanding of the truth. But I am suggesting that sharing our knowledge is not the starting place. The starting place is relationship, specifically building relationships of trust based on love. Jesus was clear that our trademark, that which identifies us as one of His, should be our love for one another. When we choose to genuinely love other people, 
Not only are we walking in obedience to Jesus, but we are also earning the right to tell others about him. I can tell you from personal experience that starting with knowledge never yields the same results as starting with relationship. In the summer of 1997, Becky and I moved to the little village of Flowery Branch, Georgia, located about 50 miles north of Atlanta. We were there to start a new church, and so naturally, I was eager to tell everyone I possibly could about Jesus, the gospel, and the church. Downtown Flowery Branch is a collection of little frame houses separated by hedgerows, and we rented one of them smack dab in the middle of town. We moved in on a Friday, and the next morning, I stepped out onto our back porch to have my quiet time and enjoy a cup of coffee. No sooner had I sat down than the distinct odor of marijuana came drifting over the hedge between me and my new neighbor. Early time to start. Now, there was a time when I would have made it my business to go over there at some point and tell this guy everything I knew about Jesus, which probably would have only served to alienate him from ever speaking to me again. Thankfully, I'd learned a thing or two by then, and so my first order of business was simply to introduce myself. I didn't tell him I was a Christian or even a pastor. I just told him that we were Dan and Becky, his new neighbors, and he told us his name was Jim. A week or so later, we had a refrigerator delivered, and I asked him if he would help me get it in the house, which he gladly did. And then sometime later, he needed a lift to the auto shop to pick up his car, so I gave him a ride. And then when his birthday rolled around, Becky made him a cake. And when my lawnmower quit working, he loaned me his. We just did the kinds of things that neighbors do and started down the road of friendship. After we'd lived there for, oh, seven or eight months, a day came that I had been dreading all along. He finally asked me what I did for a living. I said a silent prayer and told him I was a pastor. He didn't freak out or get all awkward. He just said, hmm. Now, Jim was single, and he liked to party a lot. Loud music and plenty of weed was the norm at his house, but we didn't make a big deal out of it. We just tried to be good neighbors and love him as we thought Jesus would. One night, a year or so after we moved in, someone was banging on our front door at about three in the morning. I couldn't imagine who, so as I peered out the window, rather scared, I noticed it was Jim. When I opened the door, I could see that he'd been crying, and he asked if he could come in. For the next 20 minutes, he told me that he had a terrible drinking and drug problem and that he was about not only to lose his job, but also visitation rights to his five-year-old daughter. Once he managed to get it all out, he looked up at me and said, do you know anyone who could help me? And I said, as a matter of fact, I do. His name is Jesus, and he cares desperately about you and your situation. If you'd like, I can introduce you to him tonight. He eagerly agreed, and we prayed right there on my living room floor. After he went home, I sat there a while, so glad that I hadn't rushed over the day that we moved in to tell him that I was a pastor and that he needed Jesus. While those things were certainly true, that would not have moved him one inch closer to the kingdom. Instead, by focusing on building a relationship of trust, he thought about me when he reached the end of his rope. Now, that doesn't prove what a great guy I am. No, that situation demonstrated Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. If we will love first and talk later, 
we've greatly increased the likelihood of introducing someone to Jesus. Here at FaithBridge, we have a long and strong history of being a missional church. Our mission-sending ministry, The Road, sends more people on mission trips than any church I know of. Over the years, we've sent thousands of people all over the world to tell people about Jesus. As a matter of fact, today was supposed to be Mission Send-Off Sunday when we would commission all of our short-term summer missionaries. We never dreamed something like a virus would keep that from happening. No doubt, this pandemic has greatly disrupted our lives in many ways, but I believe God wants to redeem and use this strange season for His purposes. On the positive side, it has forced us to slow down and stay home for a longer stretch than maybe we ever have. I believe this season is giving us an opportunity to put Jesus' words into practice quite literally, to love your neighbor as yourself. The world is a different place from when I was a kid. Back then, we knew every family on our street, and I mean, we knew them well. We played in each other's yards. We were in and out of each other's houses. I mean, good gracious, Miss Lou, the mama next door, could spank my bottom just as easily as my own mama. Today, though, we don't know our neighbors anymore. We're either at work, doing stuff with our kids, or we're inside the house. We've become fearful as a society, not letting our kids play and ride bikes around the neighborhood anymore. That day's gone. But that doesn't mean we can't still be neighborly and love our neighbors as ourselves. Behind the self-imposed isolation of our culture, people are hungry for community. If nothing else, social media proves we still want connection. As the people of God, we have not only what people want, but also what they most desperately need, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe God wants us to use this time to reach our neighborhoods and to do so through one trusting relationship at a time. There's a couple in our church who decided a year or so ago to begin loving their neighbors. But they did so for no other reason than that's what Christians are supposed to do. Their primary goal was not necessarily to lead people to Jesus, but just to love people. They figured if they were obedient to Jesus, He would take care of the rest. Many of you know Michael and Jill Sullivan, our business administrator and student pastor. I'd like to close our time together by giving them an opportunity to share just a bit of their story. Hey guys. Hi, hey Dan. Dan. So tell me, how did this um, loving your neighbor approach to sharing the gospel start with you guys? Well, I guess it was about three years ago, Jill and I were on a trip for our anniversary and we were just kind of reflecting on life and our marriage and we started talking about Jesus's command to love your neighbor as yourself. And we just realized that we were not meeting the mark uh, of that command because to be quite honest, we had lived in our house for over a year at that point and we could not name the first name of any neighbor on our street. And so I think it just started with us really realizing if we're gonna love our neighbors, <laughs> we need to actually know them and know their names. So practically speaking, what, what did that look like? Well, I can start with this one. From a most practical level, Dan, it took us slowing down 
So we realized um, when we get home from work and we're used to just pulling in the garage, closing the door and coming inside the home, we would try to just slow down and um, in moments that were organic, like if we were getting our trash and bringing it in or doing the yard or whatever the case was, um, just slowing down. And if the opportunity presented itself where people were around, we would um, seize that opportunity and introduce ourselves okay. and ask, like he was saying, we didn't know people's names. So we would ask, um, what is your name? That would be the starting point. And um, then the starting point too was trying to remember all of those names mm -hmm. and um, full disclosure, we um, are forgetful. And so we made a note on our phone and would just type down people's names so that we could remember. And then slowly over time, as we built these relationships, we would know a little bit more about people. Um, and then we started um, getting a little more creative. We um, opened then the opportunity for, we've done some gatherings in our neighborhood, like in our front yard and in our driveway where we would um, hand deliver invitations to people and invite people over for games and food and things like that. And then we've also done um, deliveries of different things throughout the seasons and then COVID hit. So we have had to be practical in a different way because of COVID and um, that has meant that, um, for instance, one thing we've done in this season is we made Easter baskets that we then delivered to people's homes. Um, no contact, we would leave it and then text them and say, we just left something on your, on your front porch. Um, we've done all sorts of different things in this season that still are connections, but don't require contact um, in this season. Now that's really cool. Um, t tell me about some of the rewards that you guys have reaped as a result of this. Yeah, I think on a, a practical level, one of the rewards has been the opportunity to really serve and care for our neighbors. Uh, and that's presented itself in, in a couple of unique ways. Uh, we've had the opportunity to visit a neighbor who was in the hospital. Uh, we've had the opportunity to cook meals uh, for different neighbors. Uh, we've had the opportunity to just be a listening ear as this has been a pretty challenging season. Uh, we've had the opportunity to relieve some parents uh, and take their kiddos on a socially distant walk uh, with our dog, Georgia, and just do some things uh, to serve and care and meet the needs that we see uh, as they present themselves. And then I think on a, a basic level, praying for our neighbors. And as we have gotten to know them and know different uh, struggles that they may be walking through or, or different challenges that they're facing, we've had the opportunity to pray for them. And right now, I, I give credit to Jill, who's been pioneering this, but she's been using voice text messages to actually record prayers and then send them to the neighbors. And so it's not just we're saying, hey, we're praying for you. We're recording prayers and sending them to them uh, so that they can actually listen to and, and receive those prayers from us. But I, so I'd say that's one reward. Yeah, and then I would add um, kind of a surprising reward has been that people have begun to turn the table and bless us throughout these connections. So I've brought a few things to show you. Um, we have received, well, 
Our very first COVID masks were handmade by some of our neighbors and have kept us safe in this season. We've worn them all sorts of different times. Mm -hmm. um, we got a delivery of a dog toy and dog treats for our dog from a sweet friend in our neighborhood. And then um, one day we got a delivery of these silly band bracelets that um, we are wearing and sporting. And not only did they bring us bracelets, but um, the girl who brought these to us included a note, a handwritten note that says, I made this because when you feel stressed, you can remember we are praying for you. So it has been a really cool experience for us because like I said, the tables have been turned and we have all sorts of stuff from neighbors at this point that has blessed us and people are praying for us now. So it's been unique. That's great. As I think about the people who are watching this morning, I wouldn't be surprised if some feel an inner tug to do this and, and eagerness even, but the holdback, of course, is fear. We're, we're not a culture that's accustomed to reaching out to our neighbors much anymore. What, what would you say to someone who's maybe feeling a little fearful about this? Well, I remember initially the biggest fear that I had, especially when we started doing some of these neighborhood gatherings, uh, it was the question, is anybody going to show up? You know, uh, we're walking around handing out these invitations and uh, thinking, is this totally going to creep people out? Do they even want to get to know us? <laughs> and the overwhelming response uh, was that people did. Um, I think the first time we ever, ever did a gathering, like 30 people showed up and it just blew us away that there were people starving for relationship and community with their neighbors. Um, even though, like you said, Dan, it, it's not particularly common today. Uh, the, our neighbors wanted that and desired that. And I remember the second time we did a gathering, uh, there were 40 or 45 people just out in mm -hmm. our cul-de-sac. And, and so I think, that helped overcome that initial fear of, will anybody else uh, take part in this? Um, but I think uh, maybe another thing that I've just noticed in my life is sometimes when I experience that feeling of fear, it is, uh, I feel like the enemy wanting to keep me from doing something that God is calling me to. Uh, and that I see God move in miraculous ways when I step in and embrace that fear uh, a little bit. And so maybe that sense of fear might just be a confirmation that the Lord is calling you to step out and, and take a chance in this season. And along those lines, one fear I think we talked about when we started was, we've lived here for a year. Like, is it gonna be strange if all of a sudden we start um, being friendlier or initiating conversations, is that gonna be strange? Mm -hmm. And to anybody who is in that camp and you're thinking, well, I've been in my house five, 10, 15 years, um, to anybody, I would say just take a step. People really are receptive, so just take a step. And like Michael said, push through that fear because there's so much good on the other side. That's good. Let me ask you one more question before we go, and that is, uh, what resources would you recommend for someone who wants to venture out into this? Yeah, I think a really great resource that we were turned on to is called The Art of Neighboring. 
and it's about a six-page PDF uh, document that just gives some really creative uh, mm -hmm. ideas, particularly in this COVID-19 season of ways that you can socially distance and still engage with your neighbors. Uh, and so that's been a very helpful tool for us in the season. And I think the thing that I love uh, the most about this tool is that it allows you to do this as a family. On the uh, last page, there's this little handout that is a neighborhood map where you it says you are here and it's got a picture of what would be your house. And then you can write in the names of the neighbors that you begin to meet and you can cut it out and hang it on your fridge or pass it around the dinner table. I think this would be a great tool to engage your kids and your students uh, and let them be creative. You know, draw mm -hmm. a picture. If you were drawing the Sullivans, you would draw a picture of me and Jill and our dog, Georgia. And, and then you could pray for us by name. Uh, but it just offers some really practical ways to engage your neighbors and show them the love of Jesus. Excellent. Well, thank you, Sullivan, so much for sharing your story. I'm sure it's going to inspire many of us to step out there ourselves and learn to be better neighbors. Thank you. And thanks to the rest of you for joining us for worship today here at Faith Bridge. So glad you've chosen to be with us today. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.